Welcome to Legalese. At Legalese, we offer you a diverse and civil perspective on current issues affecting America and beyond, inviting the smartest minds from Arizona and the country to politely discuss the things that matter in a Socratic manner. Our intent is to improve discourse and information dissemination in a time of hyper-partisanship and poor critical thinking. No one will be called names. No one's beliefs will be mocked. This is our response to recent and biased news content. We are here simply to deliver balanced and informative discussions about legal matters that affect us all, from yours truly, soon-to-be lawyers and current lawyers and journalists united. We offer you all of this without convoluted legalese, which is a word for fancy lawyer talk. We hope you enjoy the show. Good morning, afternoon, and good evening, wherever you're listening. I'm Chase Turrentine, your host of Your Legalese Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about a controversial new bill that was signed into law in April by Governor Doug Ducey of Arizona. The bill uh, regulates human embryos, their disposition after divorce, which is an area that, thanks to new technology, is now an area that we have to litigate. It's also an interesting topic in that it's one that gets a lot of headlines, but not a lot of actual depth coverage. I've actually looked over this bill. It is 34 lines long and 12 sentences, and I would bet that most people who have really strong opinions about this actually have not troubled to read all 12 sentences. So today, here at Legalese, what we're going to do is we're going to break down this bill, we're going to unpack it for you, and we're going to have a couple of lawyers and legally trained experts uh, kind of break it down and unpack so that you can have the benefits of other people's knowledge. Those experts are Angelica Simpson. Angelica is a civil litigator in attorney here in the Valley who attended Arizona State University for both of her bachelor's degrees and her law degree. She's also a contributor here with LegalEase. Uh, she joined LegalEase to help contribute to a well-balanced education on policy and law in today's society. She also favors uh, law, science, and technology, which is something that uh, our next guest has a lot of expertise in. Today we have Gary Marchant, who is the Regents Professor of Law and Director of Center for Law, Science, and Innovation here at Arizona State University. He teaches courses on law, science, and technology, a course that both AJ and I have taken, uh, genetics in the law, biotechnology, science and law, uh, health technologies and innovation, privacy, big data, and emerging technologies. And I feel like I blurred, blurred several of those classes together, but you get the idea. This guy knows law, science, and technology. Prior to joining ASU in 1999, Professor Marchant was a partner in, at the Washington, D.C. office of Kirkland & Ellis, where, he practiced, where his practice focused on environmental and admin law. But during law school, he was editor-in-chief of the Harvard Journal of Law and Technology and the editor of the Harvard Environmental Law Review and was awarded the Fay Diploma, awarded to the top graduating student at Harvard Law. So today, we're going to start off and we're going to have uh, the two experts uh, go ahead and start their discussion. And from there, we'll start asking some questions. And we're going to start by having you guys unpack your particular position on this bill. Angelica, will you go ahead and start us off? Hi, so I'm Angelica. I'm going to be discussing uh, the support side of this bill. So essentially, this bill uh, came into creation after a couple in the Valley ran into a difficulty in deciding what was going to happen with their embryos after divorce. So 
In 2014, uh, Ruby Torres and her fiance uh, decided to freeze her embryos after they discovered that she had an aggressive form of breast cancer. So they went through IVF, uh, had the embryos frozen, ended up getting married. She went through the cancer treatment, and then their marriage ended in divorce. And Ruby wanted to keep the embryos so that she could have uh, a chance at having some biological children since the cancer treatment had left her unable to do so. And her husband, now ex-husband, wanted the embryos donated to a third party uh, because he was worried with some future financial obligations and how child support might affect any inheritance his other future children might have. So they went through the court process and it resulted in essentially the superior court uh, noting that the Arizona law is currently, well, was currently, it's not anymore, silent on the matter, and that based on the language in their contract with the fertility clinic that they signed at the time they created the embryos, that the embryos needed to be donated to a third party, uh, a fertility bank with another couple. So Ruby is appealing that decision and is trying to have that overturned, uh, but then we have the creation of this bill, which I don't see what it does. Yeah. Okay, so, so Senate Bill 1393, which... Uh, essentially is going to award the embryos in an instant of disagreement to either the party that wants to bring them to life or has the best intentions or wants them to go to life. Um, yeah, and I think that's a good bill. I think it. there is no law on this. I think this kind of does a good job of answering that dispute of what to do with these embryos. There's a lot of high-profile cases, if you look at the case research in different states, uh, sometimes the women want the embryos, sometimes the men want the embryos, and courts just kind of differed and struggled on what to do with them, and, and should they be destroyed, should they be donated, should they be given to someone, and this takes that out of the contract hands and says, you're going to give them to the person who is going to use the method as they were intended when they were created. Excellent. Thank you, Angelica. Uh, Gary? Yeah, so uh, Angelica described the bill uh, very well and, and how, what led up to it. Um, so I'm opposed to this bill. I, I think um, it's dealing with very difficult circumstances where these families, you know, who uh, these are all married couples because it's in the context of divorce, so it's not people who are having kids outside of marriage. It's people who are married, who are planning to have children together, and then something happens or things happen, and they get divorced, and so then what do you do with these embryos that they've created with the plan to, to grow them together as their future children, and now the marriage is gone. So what do you do with that? It's a very controversial, emotional issue, and you read, you know, if you've read through these cases as Angelica described it, it's just, you know, these people are in horrible, you know, emotional and, and a personal challenge by de- this horrible situation that's developed in their life that they didn't really anticipate. Um, my view is that Child raising and having children is one of the most private, intimate things we do in life. And it's one that we should defer to the people to make their own decisions on. This is not something that government should come in and override the will of people, of couples who have decided what they want to do. And so I think the Ruby case is is a little bit exceptional because I don't think it's specified what happens in the case of divorce. Today, I think it's just routine practice that the clinics will now make you sit down, spend time thinking through what do you want to do if you do get divorced or if one of you dies, and they make the couple think through that and come to an agreement before they move forward. So this couple, each couple has now come to an agreement, and there's many options. You could say that the embryos get destroyed. You could say that, uh, you know, they'd have a... Uh, a court decide which of them gets it. You could say that um, 
one of them, like say the mother gets it, you could say they give up for the adoption. So there's many options a couple can choose in the contract. And now routinely, every one of these cases, they have a contract where this couple has had to sit down and think about this very intimate personal decision of them as a couple, what they want to do. And now Arizona is going off in its own direction, different than any other state, and we're saying the government's going to override your decision. We know better than what you should do in terms of this intimate, personal decision you've just agreed on. And I think that's just totally wrong. I think it's basically disrespecting the autonomy of people. We're saying that they can't make their own decisions. So I disagree with this bill strenuously. I also disagree with the other direction of Massachusetts, for example, where the couple agree in a contract that the mother gets them if, if they get divorced and the Supreme Judicial Court in, in Massachusetts overrode that contract and said, no, we think the, you know, being forced to be a parent, even though you agree to it in contract, is, is unconstitutional, and therefore we're going to, again, override your decision. And I think both of those are completely wrong. I think we need to defer to people. We need to say we're grown-ups. We're making these intimate decisions, and we need to respect it. And it's not appropriate for government to come in and override the decision that people make about their own lives. So in vitro fertilization is a fairly new industry. Uh, it's something that we've only been able to do recently thanks to modern scientific advances. And usually with modern scientific advances, there's going to be growing pains. And it seems like uh, one of the potential issues here is the failure to contract well in some of these instances. Uh, there's a very high-profile uh, version of this case that was between Sophia Vergara of ABC's Modern Family mm -hmm. and Nick Loeb. Uh, they were not married, but they froze their embryos together. And the contract stipulated that they could not uh, make any unilateral decisions regarding those embryos uh, unless the other party had died. Uh, both of those uh, people are still very much alive. And this issue has been litigated since 2015, uh, and there was just a new court decision a couple weeks ago on that case. Was that the California one? No, a uh, federal court kicked it back to the state court uh, okay. of Louisiana. So in Louisiana, uh, he had been going there because Louisiana has another unique provision of their law, which states that you have to do, this is kind of family law language, what's in the best interest of the in vitro embryos, mm -hmm. which it is emblematic of the, the best interest of the child language that we all know when we take the bar. Well, it goes beyond um, that, though. Louisiana basically says that the embryo is a juridical person. It has a legal status. Yeah. It cannot be destroyed, which goes far beyond best interest of the child. Many states have best interest of the child, but Louisiana is unique in that it basically gives the embryo a personhood legal status. And it's interesting just as a legal matter, not so much as uh, it is to policy, but one of the reasons uh, the Louisiana court uh, kicked it out was because the embryos didn't have uh, standing in the state of Louisiana. They weren't conceived there. The contract wasn't made there. They weren't housed there. Uh, so it was, it was really just a standing issue rather than you know, uh, something more ideological, which I thought was interesting. Um, what would you say, uh, Gary, to to help avoid the government getting involved in an area where, as you said, we should all be grown-ups, we should be able to uh, contract with each other. That's a, an argument that I'm very sympathetic to, yeah. personally. Um, if I am, too. So I think we're a little bit similar on that, too. I, I agree. I think this bill fills in, if there isn't a contract, 
um, and kind of tries to fill that in a little bit. But I, I think we're closer to that too. I think if you force people to sit down and have the conversation before they make these decisions and you have a contract that you could really revert to, I think you have a stronger argument to that than to just say they should, you know, not do things. I just, I agree with you, though. But this contract this bill, law is an issue. This bill yeah. overrides. Well, no, I, yeah. I understand so, that. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, so when these cases started, I think it was in the '80s. The first case was Davis versus Davis in Tennessee. There was no contract. The couple didn't even anticipate this. You know, I mean, they're again, they're going on their merry way. They're getting married. They've gotten married. They're going to have children. They're all happy. They never anticipated the marriage would dis disillusion and, and that they'd be at conflict with each other. And so the courts had to then craft some kind of, what do we do with this? Yeah. And you know, they came to various types of approaches, different courts in different states. Um, but we have now been doing this for 20, 30 years. We've had over a million babies born in the United States using this technique, four million globally. And now the clinics know that they are going to create a problem if they don't contract. So as far as I know, it's just standard practice now that they sit the couple down and say, you have to think about this. It's sort of like a forced prenuptial in a marriage. You have to have this in contract, in writing. Here's your options. There's a, a whole slate of different things you can decide on, but you must decide. And for example, if they're a pro-life couple, you know, usually people will marry another pro-life person if they're pro-life. You know, they will likely say in the contract that this embryo has to be given birth to, you know, and, and couples do that. Yeah. And then the court has to apply that. Um, but now we're just overriding that judgment. You know, if a couple says, you know, neither of us should have to be a parent against our will, the embryos will be donated or the embryos will be destroyed. And we have decided that's what we want to do. Um, we're now coming in as a state government saying, sorry, we know better than you in terms of your child bringing, we're going to override your contract that you clearly you know, knowingly signed. And I just think that's unconscionable. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read you a little legalese. I'm going to read you <laughs> section right. A and B of the bill, which essentially is the, the part of the bill that states yeah. that even if you contract a, uh, as a particular outcome here, if this comes to a case, if this becomes an action, the contract is no longer valid. And you kind of have to read the inverse here. But it goes like this, section A. If an action described in this section, subsection A, involves the disposition of an in vitro human embryo, the court shall, and then it gives several of the uh, options, whether or not you donated your gametes, your sperm or eggs, um, whether or not both parties did, who's going to bring it to life and stuff like that. But the, the key words here are, if an action uh, involves the disposition of in vitro human or embryos, in vitro human embryos. Uh, additionally, Section B, if an agreement between the spouses concerning the disposition of the in vitro human embryos is brought before the court. So if two parties contracted and there's a dispute over the contract or, um, I don't know, you might maybe claim that you were induced into this or, you know, something like that, if, it, if an action comes before the court, then these are going to be the heuristic rules that say this is ha how the disposition of the uh, in vitro embryo is going to be treated. So, so the case will always come before the court, though, because the, the provision of this is basically the state law on divorce. Mm -hmm. So as long as there's a divorce going on, it has to go through the court under this provision, and then the property has to be allocated, and the embryos get kicked into that process. You could even read this to say that if a couple agreed that if, and, and still believe that if we get divorced, we have to destroy the embryos, that this bill would require one of them to have the baby. 
because it's basically saying it's part of the property of the marriage and it must be given to the couple that's most likely to have a baby with it. So even if both don't want it, the court, this, this crazy bill would require one of them to go forward with that. So uh, just in that, uh, when I was reading through the bill and yeah. looking for the specific portion, because I, I thought there might be something like that, uh, it seems to be silent on that issue. Right. It says that if one of the parties wants to bring it to life, then it, has, then it goes to that parent. It seems silent on the issue of if neither party wants them to bring, uh, to bring it to life. Right. Um, so is that an area where maybe they could have gone into more detail? Or, I mean, just again, should yeah, have just it's, left it's that issue It's an ambiguity. Alone? I mean, it's not going to usually occur. There's easy ways to get around that, yeah. not just, just simply yeah. not disclose you have the embryos, you know, <laughs> enlisting your property. I mean, if both couples really wanted to just dump them yeah. down the toilet, that happens a lot. You know, we have 400,000 embryos sitting there in labs around the country just sitting there with no one want to do anything with them. And over time, they cost like 8 or $9 a month to, re- to keep each of those. They're being flushed down the toilet. That's what's yeah. happening. There was a couple, there was an interesting case that I read that was like that where they were fighting for years and years over these embryos, but no one was paying the fees at the clinic. And so then when they finally were awarded, they weren't there because they didn't pay the $100 a month maintenance fees and they had already been defrosted. And so they were fighting over property that didn't even exist anymore because no one had contacted the clinic and told them that it was subject. And I didn't read it like that. I read it the same way that Chase did, that it, yeah. it would only be an action if I wanted them and someone didn't, or in the inverse, um, he wanted them and I didn't. Uh, yeah. That is an interesting thing, if, if you could read and make that argument. And I know there was a lot of pushback on the bill because people were saying that it was granting embryos personhood and it was starting to open up that mm-hmm. pathway a little bit, so there was pushback on that. Right. But I didn't think about the argument of right. you don't want them, she doesn't want them. I mean, I guess if you kept it quiet, but I mean, what yeah. this bill says, if an action described in 25318, which is a divorce, involves a disposition of an in vitro human embryo, if that's part of their property, and the bill, they list all these other property, they're just adding the embryo in there now, this is what happens. But again, I, I agree, that's sort of a minor case. I mean, I think um, the one thing good about the bill is I think the case you talked about here in Arizona um, the concern of the father, or the putative father, was he'd be liable for child support. And the good part of this bill is that it does say that if this couple decides and one goes forward with the baby and the other one doesn't agree, they are off the hook for any liability or responsibilities, duties to that child. And even if they agree to it, um, without this kind of bill, there's a concern that uh, you know later on the state could still come in and say you owe child support. Um, so that's the good part of this bill. And if it just said that, this would be a, a terrific bill because it would allow, like apparently the couple here in Arizona, where the man wasn't opposed to the woman going off and have the baby. He just was worried about his own liability. He was worried about his inheritance getting having to be spread to that child, which you know courts will automatically do if you're a, a genetic a descendant of someone. Um, and so that's what he was concerned about, apparently, according to the news reports. And so that would have allowed him to allow the woman to go ahead. Many of these cases involve you know, very tragic cases where often the woman has cancer or something. This is her last chance to have a baby. Uh, and you feel a lot of sympathy for them, uh, that, you know, that woman, that um, you know, why not let her go ahead, particularly when the man's maybe remarried and uh, it's a much younger woman is going and have a bunch of babies over there. Why should this woman be... F- foreclosed from ever reproducing. 
Um, and I think the way to deal with that is to negotiate that in a contract to say that, you know, uh, either or both can have the bait embryos, uh, you know, depending on, you know, who needs the most. You know, if, if one couple, if one is their only chance, maybe they have the preference. You can put that in a contract. People can be smart yeah. and figure out how they want to do that. That's how this should be handled, in my view. Now, one issue that's been brought up with this bill uh, relates to the ownership of genetic material after you've donated it. Um, there are some that maintain that, you know, your ownership, you know, if you donate uh, gametes and you have them frozen, that even if, you know, one party wanted them, you know, and we totally struck out any parental responsibility from the other party, uh, the party that wanted to bring it to life brought it to life, um, is there such a thing as a right to not have your genetics propagated without your consent? Or did you consent when you signed the contract in the first place, assuming that that's uh, the way that that went? Well, you signed what you thought would be done with that, those embryos. So, um, you know, we are talking about fertilized embryos. So your genetic material is already mixed with the other person. So it's no longer solely yours. There's some interesting other cases going on in this sort of same space of um, a recent case. I think it was in Australia just in the last month where uh, a, a man and woman were boyfriend, girlfriend, and he got killed and he, the woman wanted his frozen sperm and went to court over the objections of his parents and said, you know, we were in love. He would have wanted me to have this kid with him. I still love him even though he's dead. I want his frozen sperm because I want to remember him. And his parents objected. Who has a right over that genetic material? And there it's just one person's genetic material, not a combination. So it's interesting cases get, and I think in that case the court gave the woman the right. She was able to show with evidence that that was his intent probably to, to go forward with that baby. Um, so you get these uh, complicated cases. But, you know, uh, having um, a child that's your genetic material against your will is a, quite an imposition. Um, you know, people do it all the time of donate their gametes, right? Mm -hmm. the sperm or egg donors. Uh, and they know then there's a kid out there, or sometimes 50 kids out there, uh, who are their progeny. But they don't know who they are, and they don't have any connection with them. Um, when, when it's someone that you will know who that kid is. You'll know where your spouse, ex-spouse is probably living. Um, you'll be able to go and see them and, and drive by them and see them. That's your kid and you have no connection with them and, and that kid was created against your will. Um, that's very different, I think, than if you give a, a donation of an egg, an egg or a sperm to an anonymous source. It's also the case that, unfortunately, these marriages have, have broken down, and there's often incredible bitterness between the couple. Yeah. And the last thing you might want is for that person you now hate <laughs> to have your kid, right, and raise your kid. And then finally, what about the kid? What about the kid learning at some point that their father, their biological father, did not want them to exist? And the state came in and told them, you know, you have to be created uh, over your father's objection. That's also a weird psychological <laughs> impact on the kid that we're going to impose. So, and Angelica, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I know you. you you've described yourself as pro-life. Uh, since we just brought up the issue of... Uh, the potential child might have these psychological issues. Is this a trade-off uh, situation where the child's alive, though? We, we've basically mandated that this, uh, that this fertilized embryo be brought to life and not thawed out and, and otherwise discarded. I mean, I would make the argument in two different ways. I disagree a little bit with the argument that you still have consent 
after you've already made the embryo. I think that if you have a couple, you've agreed, your your sperm, my egg, we're going to create an embryo, that is your consent, and you are acknowledging that that life can potentially be brought into life. I think it's the same thing if you do it traditionally or if you do it in a Petri dish. If you are taking an egg and a sperm together, you know a result of that could be to create life. And I think that then to say, well, now the circumstances have changed, so I don't want that child anymore. I think you can make a lot of comparisons to a regular traditional pregnancy and things like that where you don't have as much say. I understand the difference being, well, this one hasn't been implanted yet, but I think that it's not... I'm not taking your sperm and fertilizing my eggs. We did that together. We did that. We agreed that was the intent of the transaction. And now because there's bitterness, because there's things, you are saying that you don't want that. You want to withdraw your consent from that transaction. And in the in Ruby's case and, and the other cases where one of the parties, because it, it's gone the other way too, where men, maybe they've had prostate cancer and so they can't have children biologically either anymore, that those are their last chance. And I think that's... You're, you're, you're changing the terms of the contract now because the marriage is broken down. Marriages break down every day. Kids live in divorce. Parents walk away from their children all the time. And I don't know if that's a reason to say, well, you can't biologically have children anymore. And because this person has changed their mind on the intentions that you guys created these embryos, you can't have them. Um, what was interesting in the case that brought this bill too is they didn't destroy them. They were donated to a third party. So those seven embryos potentially could all be out there. And as much as it Perhaps, would be... Uh, growing up and having sex and getting married to each other. <laughs> yeah, really. And it, it is. And, and I think it's just as... I mean, Gary made the argument, it'd be hard to know that's your spouse and that's kid, your kid and your thing. I think it would be just as hard to know that you have seven biological children out there that you want it. And that a court told you, no, because you got divorced and because the other person doesn't potentially want to pay child support, you can't have them. And I don't know if one of those emotional arguments outweighs the other. I, I don't think it does. I think that that would be hard to live with, too, is you did this. She did make the right step. She got a horrible diagnosis. She decided to freeze the, you know, to create the embryos. She safeguarded herself, luckily went through remission. She's fine. She could you know, biologically have children this way, and that was taken away from her because a marriage fell apart. I don't know if that's the right answer from the courts either. So, I mean, I, I think it's an effective argument you make, Angela, uh, that, um, you know, if, if you're a married couple and you get pregnant the normal way, and, uh, you know, at seven months of pregnancy, the marriage falls apart, the husband can't say, I withdraw my consent. Uh, you know, <laughs> you have to go have an abortion or whatever. You can't do that. It's too late. Even if the man didn't intend to get the woman pregnant, we hold him responsible under the legal system. But what's different here is that you're not going forward with it. You're basically taking the first step with the express contractual understanding that this will only be done under certain circumstances that both, couple, both members of the couple have agreed to. And then you can't go and then change that after the fact because the state has a pro-life position and over decides we're going to override that consensual decision. You know, if the if the if the contract says, you know, the worst case for a pro-life person that these embryos get destroyed, which again thousands are being done every year in this country, um, if these uh, two or three or however many it is are going to be destroyed, if they've agreed to that. You know, is it really appropriate for the state to come in and say, no, we think this should become a baby? I mean, that's, that's an extraordinary decision to do because there's, you know, there's in this state alone, there's tens of thousands of embryos in freezers. Could the state come and say, these have to be made babies? 
I mean, that's, that's you know, incredibly intrusive into personal autonomy and privacy. And I, agree, and I agree with that aspect. If you have both parties that say that they don't want them and that they want them destroyed or they agree that they want them donated at that time, mm-hmm. I do agree with that, that, that it, that's intrusive for the state to say, no, we're going to donate them to a third person and, and have them brought to life. Mm-hmm. But I think in the instance where you have one person that wants them and one person that doesn't, and the government saying, okay, the person that doesn't, we're going to sever all legal obligations, I don't see the harm And then letting the, the sever. I guess it'd be almost overriding the contract just in that aspect and saying, okay, you can go ahead with the initial intended purpose of the contract, and we're not going to hold the other party legally responsible. Mm-hmm. I agree. If you have two people that are saying, no, we don't want them, the state should not say, you have to have them. Mm-hmm. But if you have one party that says, no, I would like them. Even though they agreed that they would be disposed of even if they in, agreed, in because I do think time. life changes, and I think you could have a similar situation where you created them, and then something tragic happened, and you couldn't have children or, or something like that. Even if it was as simple as you have a pro-life stance. Um, but why would you then have agreed on the contract? Yeah, and I think and I think yeah. that would be an interesting thing yeah. as a pro-life People person. Change, yeah, I and I was gonna say as a pro-life person, I wouldn't agree to that. Right. I yeah. I wouldn't, right. and yeah. so I agree with you. If you right. were pro-life, you yeah. probably wouldn't agree to that. Yeah. But I can also see someone um, not thinking that right. this would ever happen. They would yeah. be in the situation where yeah. those five embryos are my my only chance at children, yeah. right. and now I right. you know yeah you change. I've had yeah. a change of heart, yeah. and yeah. I think it'd be wrong to destroy them. And frankly, you know, if I was a man in that situation where it was the woman's only chance and I was told I had no fiscal responsibility, I probably wouldn't have a problem with it unless I really, really hated that person. <laughs> I, guess. I, I thought they were an incompetent parent or a terrible parent. Uh, maybe I divorce this person because they're a heroin addict and I don't yeah. want them raising a child that's half me and, in a horrible, abusive situation. Whatever. Those might be my choices. And so that's why I have that in the contract. The other thing is, so, so you know, this I know, knowledge that, you know, against your will and against the contract, uh, this person that you no longer like at all, perhaps despise, is now raising your child. The other one is, you know, the, the uh, modern family woman. Of, mm-hmm. What's her name? Yeah. Uh, Sophia Vergara. Vergara, yeah. So, you know, so there's a celebrity, right? This guy's going to be able to use this as a, as a, to be in the media all the time. You know, here's Miss so- Sophia when she's seven years old. Look at how beautiful he is. She's, you know, she's, he's going to be able to capitalize on her, uh, fame and, and notoriety to basically use her image and her reputation with her child against her will. I to interject, but he actually did name uh, both of the fertilized embryos. Uh, one was Emma and one was Isabel. Uh-huh. The case actually had uh, plaintiff Emma is a female human being at the uh-huh. embryonic stage of life, five days old developmentally. Right. right. So, it, I mean, it's just interesting. Right. Uh, yeah. And it's interesting that you bring that up because people actually talked about domestic violence and abuse relationships and is this just a way to control people that you can do that because I think we're all taking the premise that the woman is always going to be the party that wants the embryos and the man's the person that doesn't. But you could have situations where she wants to get out of the relationship, she wants nothing to do with him, and he now elects to to take the embryos as a way to control, as right. a domestic mm. thing, and right. should a woman have the ability to be like, say, no, I don't want my, you know, gen- my embryos with right. this horrible who might, person. Who might basically torment you by, yeah, you know, not saying all that are horrible yeah, people, no, and that's no, why they absolutely. would want them, but it was but, You know, we just had this horrible case in Scottsdale, this guy who murdered all these people involved in his divorce. I mean, people do these crazy things. 
uh, you know, so again, yeah, if you're the woman and, and he says, I want to take these embryos, and so you, you realize this guy's a total monster, and the last thing you want is children with them, he can now take them, raise them, and torment you with pictures of him doing, you know, nasty things to these children or horrible things to these children, whatever, as long as he doesn't break the law, I guess, and, and, uh, and you know, just constantly torment you with that, that he has your kids and he's doing these things to them. So, I mean, there's all kinds of ways this could result in, in bad outcomes because we're not respecting the people's decision. Um, the, the other interesting thing of the bill is it really opens it up to gaming, right? To gaming the system, S- strategic play. Like you could say that, uh, you know, I know my wife wants to implant these, so I'm going to say I want them. And in mm. fact, I have uh, a new 20-year-old wife who's going to be much more fertile than you. We're 40s now. Uh, she's much more fertile. And so there's much more chance she's going to actually bring these to term. Um, or I have a very big income, and I've got a beautiful house with all kinds of nannies and things, uh, you know, obviously, and, and the top health care, uh, where you're just a divorced, jobless woman, you know, you can't even afford to pay for this child care. And so you could see that people could game the system to get the rights to this, and oops, we dropped the Petri mm-hmm. dish, sorry. <laughs> the language of the bill does say it goes to the spouse who intends uh, to allow the in vitro human embryo to develop uh, to birth or uh, provides the best chance for the in vitro human embryos to develop to birth. One of my common contentions with uh, a lot of laws that get passed, despite the intentions of the lawmakers, is the inability to see uh, what economists call unforeseen consequences. Uh, Thomas Sowell famously says that uh, policy should be judged by their actual outcomes, not by the intentions of their enactors. And I think here you've demonstrated that there is actually some stuff that the state legislature may not have thought about, or maybe they did think about it and it was just too difficult to, yeah. to you know, right. muddy the waters. Yeah. Uh, one other issue that I came up with, because I like thinking of, yeah. what are the <laughs> horrible unintended consequences of things that right. uh, come from legislation? So uh, section, section three of, uh, section A3 states that Uh, If both spouses intend to allow the in vitro human embryo to develop to birth, but only one spouse provided the gametes for the in vitro human embryo, award uh, award the in vitro human embryo to the spouse that provided the gametes for the in vitro human embryos. And what that struck me as, gay couples. Mm. Uh, If Mm. you're a homosexual couple, you both cannot have... Right. Your gametes uh, together. Right. I don't think that's a controversial statement to yeah. say. Yeah. Uh, so it tends to be that either there's adoption or uh, they mix it in so they don't know who yeah. it is. Yeah. But um, only of the two of two males or of two females, right. only one of them could have biologically provided the gametes for that. Yeah. And is that taking too much into random chance with this bill? Is it uh, you know we're just right. rolling the dice because. Uh, it, it seems to have made a, a situation problematic where, well, maybe the one who didn't actually provide the DNA. Um, and it seems to be based on the argument that, well, if it's your DNA, you still have greater vested interest than maybe somebody you adopted or chose or uh, something like that. So um, either of you um, care to address uh, that point? Well, I mean, it's an interesting <laughs> one of sort of this genetic essentialism that we give much greater rate to the, the genetic component of parenthood. So I have two children myself. One is adopted and one's a biological child of mine. 
I see no difference between those two kids. I mean, I, I, unless someone told me, you know, oh, yeah, that's adopted. Yes, yeah, she's adopted and he isn't. They are exactly the same to me in terms of my children. I, I, I don't think of them any differently whatsoever, even though I'm genetically related yeah. to one and not to the other. I've, I've raised them since they're babies. They're, they're my children. I love them both. You know, not one more or less than the other. And so this idea that just because you're the genetic contributor, you're somehow the better parent isn't always the case. I mean, a rapist you know, is a genetic parent. You wouldn't want to have that, give them any role. And so we're actually seeing a lot of these cases that with you know, gay marriage occurring now, of then they divorce and they have children, and the courts are basically applying this genetic essentialism yeah. that says you know, the genetic parent is automatically the one that gets the kids, even though the other one may be the more nurturing parent in some cases. You know, in some cases, it is going to be the genetic one. But they don't look at that. They just look at the genetics and say that person has a greater role. And again, I know from my own personal experience that that doesn't determine what is parenthood. Parenthood is a social interaction, a love that's, that goes far beyond genetics. And, and so to just give genetics this complete veto is, just seems wrong to me. Seems to be taking a page out of uh, Richard Dawkins' book. You know, yeah, it's a, the, the selfish gene. gene. No, the, <laughs> right, right. the reason we have children yeah, yeah. is to pass on our own genes, right. which yeah. certainly isn't an invalid scientific right. theory, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm inclined to right. think what you do. I'm, right. I look at my stepdad, and yeah. he's not legally adopted me. I still have yeah. my actual dad. Yeah. But my stepdad is just as much my dad as my actual right. dad is. Right. Um, yeah. These are the people that raised me. They're yeah. the people who love me. And yeah. uh, I think that one of the things that this bill is missing is a little bit of that. Yeah. But uh, additionally, there's one other, and I think we got about five more minutes here. Uh, so I want to touch on one other interesting issue because we talked about um, the, the genetic proponent, uh, component. Um, section E states that a uh, spouse who provided gametes for the in vitro human embryo and who does not consent to being a parent as provided in subsection C uh, shall provide the spouse awarded the in vitro human embryo with detailed written non-identifying information that includes the health and genetic history of the spouse and the spouse's family in a document that is separate from a document containing identifying information. So essentially, uh, you have to disclose your genetic and biological family history. Um, there's a couple of things that uh, pop out to me in that uh, invasion of privacy being one, but also, uh, especially since we've uh, had a couple cases surrounding this, uh, one of which was decided today, uh, the idea of compelled speech. Mm -hmm. So right. with compelled yeah. speech, there's a, there's a handful of instances where uh, we're, of course, allowed to compel. You know, the government compels cigarette manufacturers to put labels on their right. cigarettes. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't compel, you know, things like gender-neutral pronouns uh, yet. Some places, uh, maybe Canada's dealing with a, 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 that issue right now. Um, but here, we're, we're requiring a person to disclose, I mean, that's very intimate details, maybe details that weren't even disclosed when the couple was married. Um, what, what sort of uh, issues stick out to you there? I mean, either of those or uh, some new one that... I didn't even think of. Do we make donors, like yeah. sperm donors? Yeah. yeah. So I, that's the, the, my initial red flag is you're essentially now saying that person is either an egg donor or a sperm donor. Yeah. And I think that that's where this bill loses it for me. Then you have to treat that person like that. If you want the child and you bring them up, you're not having any contact with that person. And I don't think that just because 
you know who it is, then you're entitled somehow to their health information. I think it's no different than if you go to a, an anonymous sperm bank and create embryos that way. You you don't have that that knowledge. And so I think it's a little unfair for the court to say, well, yeah, but we know who you are. So go ahead and, and tell this person that. And they, they said it was because, you know, so the, the child would have access to their health information. But like with adoption and things yeah. like that, there's plenty of children that don't have access to both of their parents' genetic information. So I think that bill kind of went a little too far. And I don't know why they did that. And with DNA analysis being what it is, I mean, you can, you know, do a cotton swab, uh, drop it into a test tube and send it off and you can get back probably way more than, you know, someone's verbal account of their family history. Um, so uh, so I, I agree with Angela on that. I mean, you know, there's there's several orders of magnitude more kids being born in Arizona that are a, an artificial donor of sperm or egg who don't have this requirement yeah. than the, the few kids who are going to be caught up in this case. So it's strange they would sort of, you know, separate these ones out and put this extra requirement on. And then in terms of, you know, how uh, intrusive could it be? I mean, so one thing is how would that be enforced? So, um, you know, there are these genetic conditions like Huntington's disease. It's a, you know, if you, if your parent has it, you have a 50 percent chance. Something like seven or eight percent of people in that position ever want to get genetically tested because they don't want to know. They can't yeah. bear the thought yeah. of knowing they're doomed. So what if the spouse knows this other one's at risk? Can they use this provision to say, you have to get the test? We've actually had uh, 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 divorce cases where the one party, one spouse is the other, and the courts have agreed that you know if you're going to get custody of the kids, you can't have Huntington, so you have to get a, a genetic test as a condition to getting the kids custody. So you could see possibly this could be applied in that same way of forcing this person to have to disclose or find out things that they know they're at risk of but don't want to know. And so that's going to go, again, way too far. But it, you know, it's sort of ambiguous how far that would go. Um, so we'll see how the courts uh, play it out. I think it's going to be also interesting to see if anyone's going to challenge this bill. Yeah. I mean, I guess you'd have to have someone withstanding who's uh, mm-hmm. in that position. There's, this isn't going to happen a lot of times. I mean, usually the couple comes to an agreement and, and they're, they, they usually have a similar view of the world when they get married and, and, and they have it worked out and that's what they're going to do. It's only these sort of rare cases where, you know, weird cancer comes up or something horrible yeah. like that, that you're going to get this conflict. So um, there's probably not going to be that many cases. So maybe that no one will have standing to sue. Who knows? That, but that's actually an interesting point though, is what if that's the reason why you don't want those embryos to come to life is because you know that you have Huntington's disease in your family. So then you're saying, no, I don't want my future embryos to possibly have that. And then, so now you lose that. And then now you're just disclosing that too, because I'm in that percentage. I wouldn't want to know. I I don't want to know if there's anything hiding right. in my genetics, I, right. I would change the way I live my life. I would yeah. probably go freeze my embryos if yeah. I knew <laughs> right. tomorrow that I wouldn't have... Or let's you know. flip it around. Let's say the woman has this cancer and it's BRCA cancer. That means her 50% yeah. of her kids are going to be at this horrible risk of genetic disease. You as a, maybe the other spouse say, I don't want to create a kid with that horrible condition. The embryos have already been created. It's too late. We can't you know, test them and say you can implant this one and this one or, or neither or whatever. It, they could implant them both. And so you're basically you know, sort of giving a sentence to these kids that they're going to be born with this horrible genetic disease because the, the mother has it. On the flip side of that, though, I mean, if we're giving them a sentence of a potential of a horrible genetic disease, we're also similarly passing uh, a sentence by dissolving them, depending on where you you draw the line at life. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think that there's a very good faith argument to be made that, you know, 
I'm, this is uh, discussed a lot with uh, things like autism and Down syndrome. I, there was a, an article in Slate a little while ago that was, um, Sweden has almost eliminated Down syndrome. Yes, right. Well, right. that's because they have these tests right. and they abort them. And, right. I mean, to some that might bump up against, right. you know, eugenics. And right. uh, Yeah, are you eliminating a disease, eradicating it, or are you just not allowing those children to come Right. You know, to full development. I don't know if you are curing or eliminating. I, I think that's so. It's obviously a complex issue. But again, I don't think there's a role for the state to tell parents yeah. that you have to have that Down's kid. I mean, that's a life-changing event, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, these are. I understand Down children. They, there's some very some families very much. You know, think this has strengthened their family and, and made their family better. But for others, it completely ruins their life. I've had people in my family who've had this horrible genetic disease, this baby that's destroyed their lives, literally, and their marriage. Um, and so to say that you have to bring these into the world, you know, what if we know these two embryos both have that condition? You know, and then the state says, sorry, you have no choice. If that person wants to implant them because they're pro-life, they can go ahead and do that. And they might be born with this genetic disease like Leshnian where they chew their fingers and lips off and die at five years in screaming pain the whole five years. Maybe you don't want to have that happen, but if the other person wants it, they can do it under this bill. Yeah, and I think, I think that's just a fundamental pro-life, pro-choice argument because I think mm-hmm. there's... Right a lot of people that would make the argument that life is life and it doesn't matter what you have it, they, that they choose that. And I think it does matter if you think the embryo is life, if you, you know, it matters what stage. Some people are okay with elected sex abortions, you know, because you wanted a boy, so then get rid of the embryos that, you know, are, are girls or vice versa. So I think the arguments kind of go where you draw the line and mm-hmm. having the state draw that line, I think is too far for some people and for other people, they don't, they want the state to draw the line, right? Because they think some people draw the line too, you know, too far for themselves. So they kind of want to rein it back in. I think it just really depends on what you think that embryo is, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I feel like the three of us here, uh, mainly you guys, but me with a little poking and prodding, we were able to unpack this fairly controversial and multifaceted uh, bill that was recently signed into law. Um, there's obviously alternatives out there in other states. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see if this bill gets challenged, who challenges it, and how high it goes in the challenge, if it stops at the state Supreme Court, or if, uh, especially with Anthony Kennedy announcing his retirement today, if we end up with a very conservative pro-life court, if this is a, a case that goes all the way to the top and has any influence on uh, reproductive rights in America. Mm-hmm. So... Um, thank you very much to both of you. I appreciate you guys uh, spending your time, uh, this good old 45 minutes here at a law school, uh, talking about law, which maybe is something we do too much already. <laughs> but I appreciate that you guys were here and willing to help unpack this issue uh, for our listeners. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to those of you guys who did. And uh, please subscribe to us on SoundCloud and uh, YouTube. And we will talk to you next time. Next time.